Psalm 2 is, in essence, uh, a coronation psalm. It is and marks the accession of someone to the throne, to the throne of Israel, someone in David's line, a Davidic king. Psalm 2 is about the coronation of a king. And it's also known as a messianic psalm. A far greater king than King David or King Solomon or any earthly king is at the center of Psalm 2. And that's who we want to be looking at this morning. There is the promise in Psalm 2 of the nations as an inheritance of the ends of the earth as a possession. The psalm marks the coronation of an earthly king, but it also, and more so, points beyond any Old Testament king to David's greater son, to the Messiah, to the anointed one of God, to the king of kings, to Jesus. And there are four voices in the psalm that if you read it, um, you've got to realize that there are different voices speaking as you read the psalm too. So I'll read it through for you and I'll highlight as I read it these different voices. So verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 2 is the voice of rebellious mankind. Verses 1 to 3, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The voice of rebellious mankind. Verses 4 to 6 are and is the voice of the sovereign God, of the voice of the sovereign God. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then verses 7 to 9, we have another voice, the, the voice of the enthroned Messiah. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And finally, verses 10 to 12, we have the fourth voice in this psalm, which is the voice of the psalmist as God's messenger. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A couple of things I just want to draw out this morning from this psalm, and three things really, is, is the first thing is that we have a king. We have a king. At a basic level, Psalm 2 is referring to the installment of an earthly king, a Davidic king, someone in David's line. Uh, in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, which refers to Jerusalem. 
It's the coronation of a king. Verse 6 says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And if you became king of Israel in those days, you had a whole lot of neighbors waiting to test you, waiting to oppose you. And in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 2, we have that scenario. We have nations plotting, people conspiring, the kings of the earth taking their stand, the rulers gathering together and throwing off the chains, the yoke of this kingship, not wanting to submit to it, conspiring, plotting, raging. Why do the nations, this rhetorical question, why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth, they, they take their stand and so on. And there is also here in the psalm, there is an anointing. Uh, verse 2 speaks of uh, the Lord and his anointed one. We watched just today as King Charles III was anointed king of uh, the United Kingdom and, and the territories and the Commonwealth. And they placed an anointing screen around the throne and they took off his robes and they took him down to a simple shirt and uh, behind this throne the dean poured oil from the ampulla into a spoon and the archbishop anointed the king. The king was anointed on his hands, on his breast and on his head. And these words were spoken as the archbishop did this by be your hands anointed with holy oil. Be your breast anointed with holy oil. Be your head anointed with holy oil. As kings and priests and prophets were anointed. And as Solomon was anointed king by Zadok the priest. And Nathan the prophet. So may you be anointed, blessed and consecrated king over the peoples. Whom the Lord your God has given you to rule and govern. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those were the words that were spoken yesterday as the king was anointed and the choir sang and Handel's Messiah rang out. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king and all the people rejoiced and said, God save the king. Long live the king. May the king live forever. Alleluia. Amen. But as we have said, this psalm is, is, is so much more than simply about the anointing of an earthly king, although it is about that. No earthly king can ultimately justify the threats that are given against this king and the glory of Psalm 2. The ends of the earth will be your possession. These are far too great to be confined to a mere human king. And the anointed one that is referred to in Psalm 2 against his anointed one, against the Lord, the people, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one, the, the Hebrew is Mashiach, and it refers to the Messiah, the anointed one of God. <clears throat> there is a true king, a king that has been installed. And there's so many stories in our culture and down through the ages that speak of a good king. 
Where a culture blossoms, if there is a good king, a culture, a kingdom blossoms and flourishes. We have many stories in our culture and in legend that speak of that. Sometimes the good king is taken away, is imprisoned, is exiled, and an evil king or an evil queen comes and takes his place, and the kingdom suffers, and the people suffer, and they wait for the good king to come back. Think of Robin Hood and the story and the legend around that. Or think of King Arthur and his kingdom. There used to be a good king, and when will he come back? Why have we got this fascination with kings and with royalty? Even places like America and others that don't have royalty are fascinated by it, are fascinated by the kings and the queens and the, and the pomp and the ceremony. Why do we have these recurring themes in our storytelling and in our legends and in our fairy tales? Because the actual record of human kings is not all that good. But we were made to serve a king. We were made to have a king. We were made to reverence and adore and worship a king. There is a memory trace in humankind of an ancient king. We were built to know and worship that king. And there is, in these stories, an echo of that, a trace of that longing and desire to worship and to bow down before a king. And in the biblical story, in the Bible, we see wise men traveling a great distance and coming to worship a king, the king, as he was born. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we read in Matthew chapter 2, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. We see Jesus in the Bible as he commences his ministry standing in the synagogue at Nazareth. And this was referenced in the service yesterday. His boiled home and the scroll of Isaiah was taken out and handed to him. And he unrolls the scroll and he finds the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Jesus stood in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he read those prophetic words from hundreds of years before by Isaiah. And it says that he rolled up the scroll, and he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue, and uh, if you've been to Israel and you've sat in kind of a, an emulated synagogue, sitting around in the round, all eyes, it says, looked at Jesus, looked at him intently. What is this guy doing? What is he saying? And then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Messiah, the King of Psalm 2. 
We see Jesus, as I referenced at the start of our service today, we see him riding into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, fulfilling also an ancient prophecy from Zechariah. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, and he's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. We have a king. We have and we long for a king. Our storytelling reflects it. Our desires emulate it. We were made for a king. And in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were set apart to worship this king. And yet they still, they looked at the nations around them and they said, they've got a king and they've got royalty and we want a king too. And it displeased God because he was the ultimate king of this people. The second point that I want to make from Psalm 2 is we do have a king and we were made for a king, but we have rejected the king. The natural human heart hates and rejects this king, this anointed one of God. The rhetorical question of Psalm 2 is why do the nations rage? And why do the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Let us cut their cords off. The Hebrew is mozerot, and it refers to the cords used to harness, to harness oxen to the yoke. Take this yoke off us. Take these cords off us. Why do the nations and the kings of the earth rage against the Lord God and his anointed one, this king? The kings of the earth are upset because they have a king, they have an owner, and they want to throw off this yoke, and they want to be their own king, and they want to be their own ruler. Yesterday, at the coronation of Charles III, the Archbishop of Canterbury said the words, I hear present unto you, King Charles, your undoubted king. Wherefore, all you who come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? And the people said, God save King Charles. The Archbishop of Canterbury also invited us as a nation and as a people to pledge our allegiance or our support to the king. Of course, there are those who do not want to do this, and you may have seen some of the protesters. I have a slide that we can put up that says, he's not my king. I don't want him as my king. And we've seen also those that would say that. I will not pledge my allegiance to King Charles. He is not my king. And there is a rejection of the king. I do not want this man to be king over me. We have rejected the king. The rejection of the heavenly king, the Messiah, is what was prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came as the king riding on a donkey. He was, Isaiah said, looking forward down the ages. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was a rejected king. And during Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the day, he asked Jesus and he said, 
Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, It is as you say. And Pilate then commanded that Jesus be scourged and beaten. And the Roman soldiers they placed on Jesus a mock purple robe to mock him as king. They spat on him. They blindfolded him. And they shouted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they fashioned a fake crown, but this one was made of thorns, long thorns that bedded themselves into the skull of Jesus. And they placed it on his head. And when Pilate brought Jesus before the Pharisees and the people once more, presenting the beaten, bruised, and humiliated man as their king, the Jews again rejected Jesus as king and shouted for Pilate to take him away and have him crucified. And Pilate asked, Shall I crucify your king? And to this the Jews responded, We have no king but Caesar. He's not our king. He's not my king. And Acts 4 links all of these events to Psalm 2. As Peter and John are persecuted, they go back to a prayer meeting of the early church and they read out together Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? Why do the people plot against us and against Jesus? The disciples praying together about the opposition that Jesus has faced and that they are facing. He's not my king. And this is the response of the human heart to Jesus. He's not my king. And they want to throw off the bonds of ownership, the yoke that is depicted here in Psalm 2. It is the base instinct of every human heart, not just those that were there in Jesus' day, spitting and, and making crowns of thorns and fake purple robes, not those that were yelling at him on the cross. It's the instinct of every human heart is to reject Jesus as king of our lives. The Scottish novelist and clergyman George MacDonald said that the central conviction of hell is that I am my own. I am captain of my own fate. I am my own. Take the yoke off. The human heart hates the idea of a king who has rights over us, who rules over us, who is our Lord and King. The natural mind, says Roman, Romans 8, is enmity to, towards God. We are enemies of God in our natural human state. Herod's song in Jesus Christ Superstar sums it up. Get out, you king of the Jews. Get out of here. Get out of my life. We have rejected the king. We have a king. We have an anointed one. We have a Messiah. A Messiah. But we have rejected this king over our lives. And only the Holy Spirit can overcome this rejection of the king. 
Because ultimately, and this is my third point, the ultimate truth is that we need a king. We need a king and we were made to serve this king. Psalm 2 verses 10 10 to 12 is an invitation to come to the king and to submit to him. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the king with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We saw yesterday William kneeling before his father. We saw him kissing his father, kissing the crown. Kiss the son, serve the king. Take refuge in him. We have on the outside of our building here as you walk in, the scripture from Matthew's gospel, which says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the invitation of Psalm 2 is to take refuge in him, not refuge from him. Those that come to him find refuge. Come to me, Jesus said. Find refuge in me. Find refuge in the Son. Kiss the Son. Submit to him. Kneel before him. Crown him as King and Lord of your life. Yesterday, the Archbishop said, I here present to you King Charles, your undoubted King. Wherefore, all you who come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? And my question this morning is to each one of us, are you willing to submit your life to an infinitely higher monarch and king? The king who the Bible tells us now reigns at the right hand of the Father. The king to whom all of the nations and the ends of the earth have been given. Kiss the Son. Take refuge in Him. The peoples of Psalm 2 and down through the ages want the yoke off them. They want to cast away the reign of the King. And Jesus' invitation is to take His yoke upon you, is to submit to Him, to come to Him, to find refuge in Him. We think sometimes that we are free when we cast off restraint, but we are not. The yoke becomes the refuge and the blessedness. There is a potential in every human being that will only blossom under the yoke and the rule of the king. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You need a king. You were made to serve a king. The echo of that is in your heart. The memory trace of it is in humankind. Otherwise, the Bible says here, you will be destroyed in your way. The warning comes, kiss the son, find refuge in him, lest you be destroyed in your way. Constraint and submission before God and his kingship means ultimately freedom. 
And John Newton reminds us in the lines of his hymn, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Jesus is king, he's not our consultant, he's not a religious icon, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king of Charles III and every other king of this earth. The orb that was given yesterday and the scepter as we reflected on the death of Elizabeth II must be returned. It is lent to earthly power. It is a symbol of God-given rule and authority, but it is returned and on the death of Elizabeth, they took the orb and they placed it back on the throne, on the altar. They took the scepter and they placed it back on the altar. But Isaiah reminds us that of God's rule and of God's kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no limit. There will be no finish because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus, when he came, he taught us to pray. He said, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray for the kingdom of God, we're praying for the kingly rule of Jesus in our lives. We're praying for the kingly rule of Jesus in our society. We're praying for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And one day that kingdom will be fully consummated and Jesus will return and of his kingdom and of his rule there will be no end. And the Bible assures us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for he is in charge and he reigns. We sing another hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? Praise him, praise him, praise the everlasting King. Psalm 2 is about the anointing of a king, an earthly king, the coronation of an earthly king. It's about the nations raging against that, but it is pointing beyond the Davidic king to the ultimate son of David, to the king of kings, to Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Jesus came and he said, the spirit of God has anointed me. I'm coming to preach good news. I'm coming to preach release for you for the captives. I'm coming to bring healing and restoration of a relationship with God. We can accept him as our king. We can kneel and we can kiss the son. We can make him king of our life. We can pray the ultimate prayer that, Lord, be king of my life. Be Lord of my life. Be in charge of my life. I <laughs> pledge my allegiance to you. And that is the invitation to every one of us. It is something that is empowered by the Spirit of God. And you may never have submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your King. He is your Savior, but He is your Lord and He is your King. And you need a King. You were made for a King. And you, like every one of us, have rejected the King. But this morning, you can accept Him as your Lord and King. In a few moments... We're going to break bread together. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember the death of 
our king and his resurrection, our servant king who came not to, not to be served but to serve and gave his life up as a ransom for many. We're going to sing in a few moments about the king of kings and his majesty. And in that song, we sing of royal robes that we don't deserve, that are placed around us. And what this king does, he, he takes his royal robes, he places them upon our shoulders. He has taken our rags, he has taken our sin, and he has placed upon us robes of righteousness. He has made us right with God through his death on the cross. And that's what we're going to mark in a few moments. And the only requirement to join us at this table is that you are a Christian, that you are a Christ follower. If you're not and you don't want to be this morning, just let it pass you by without embarrassment. It's not for you at this stage. But it can be for you this morning. And you can ask Jesus to be your Lord and your King. And you can join us at this table to mark the forgiveness of your sins and being made right with God. And we wouldn't want you to be excluded from that. We would want you to come and join us at this table, at this communion table. We would want you to know Jesus as your King and your Lord and your Saviour, as the one who has forgiven you and made you right with God. So I'm going to lead you in a few moments in a prayer, all of us this morning, just to confess our sins before God, to ask him to forgive us, to make us right with God, and to be our King. And maybe this morning it will be the first time that you've ever prayed that. And I'm inviting you to do that now, to open your heart to God and to bow before him. Shall we pray and the band are going to join us and I'm going to ask the service please to come forward and prepare the communion table for us as well. George MacDonald said that the central conviction of hell is I am my own. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And Lord, we pray this morning. We thank you that we have a king. We were made to worship a king, the anointed one of God. Earthly kings and queens have their purpose and their rule and their reign and we thank you for them but their power and their reach is limited and as this psalm says there is one that is much greater the anointed one of God the Messiah who came to be king and to give his life as a ransom for many to serve and not to be served and so this morning Lord Jesus we bow before you, the King of Kings. And we invite you into our life by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will forgive us of our sins and make us right with God. We pray that, Lord, you would be King of our life, that we would kneel and kiss the Son and find refuge in you and take your yoke upon us and not cast you away as King. Be my King and my Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And as we come now to this table, this communion table, we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We know that we look back and we remember and we give thanks and we receive forgiveness for our sins, but we also look forward to the coming of the King who will come again and reign forever. There is still in each one of us the longing of the human heart for the King and the King of Kings. And we come now and we bow and we ask your forgiveness and your cleansing and we give thanks for your death and your resurrection. We thank you that you are the King who died for us. Please forgive us of our sins. Remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Remove our transgressions from us. And forgive us through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you this morning that you have placed upon our shoulders robes of righteousness that we do not deserve. And when you look at us, you see the righteousness of Christ. We are made right with God through Jesus Christ. I pray that there may be those this morning, today, Lord, that are joining us for the first time in making Jesus their king and bowing before him and joining us as we break bread together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.